Let's read Obadiah, the whole thing. This is the word of Almighty God. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord. And a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. Your pr- the pride of your heart has deceived you, and you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, You who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nests among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. If thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be cut off. Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If great gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? Oh, how Esau shall be searched out. How his hidden treasures shall be sought after. All the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. No one is aware of it. Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom? And understanding from the mountains of Esau, then your mighty men, O Taman, shall be dismayed. To the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For violence against your brother Jacob shall cover you. Shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side. In the day that strangers carried captive his forces. When foreigners entered his gates. And cast lots for Jerusalem. Even you were as one of them. But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother. In the day of his captivity. Nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah. In the day of their destruction. Nor should you have spoken proudly. In the day of their distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people. In the day of their calamity, indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction. In the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance. In the day of their calamity, you should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped. Nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord upon all nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. 
For as you drink on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. They shall drink and swallow. They shall be as though they had never been. But on Mount Zion, there shall be deliverance. And there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. The house of Joseph a flame. The house, but the house of Esau shall be stubble. They shall kindle them and devour them. And no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. The south shall possess the mountains of Esau. And the lowlands shall possess Philistia. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim. And the fields of Samaria, Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the, the captives of this host of the children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. The captives of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the south. Then saviors shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. This is the word of our God. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would send your spirit upon us. And do what he needs to do. That we might receive your word. Break us. Mold us. Comfort us. May we hear our Savior, even here as he speaks as judge. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Short prophecy. God breathed like all the rest of Scripture. Remember, one of the things that Paul tells us uh, tells Timothy and through Timothy us about scripture's benefit for us is that it will correct us and train us. And sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need uh, a more difficult book like Obadiah. We've just finished looking at Luke 6, Christ's sermon on the plateau, and that ended with some judgment. But I want to take some time the next two weeks to think about Obadiah as well before we get back in to more of the narrative of Luke. Obadiah, I think, has especially two major themes that I want us to consider uh, over the next several weeks. The first is that the day of the Lord will bring judgment on all nations. And I'll even add something Obadiah doesn't explicitly say. The day of the Lord will bring judgment on all nations, whether they acknowledge him or not. That's surely the great theme of Obadiah. But there's a beautiful theme that goes along with it that's implied. That the judgment of God's enemies is good news for God's people. And I suspect, for some of you at least, that will be a harder theme to accept. The idea that God will come as judge is so clearly stated by Christ himself 
and throughout the New Testament as well as the Old, that we know it's true even if we struggle with it. But it might be a real struggle for some of you to look at Obadiah as we will, Lord willing, next week and think about the judgment of God's enemies being good news for you. Because we know we struggle with sin, and so that almost sounds vindictive. But we're going to look at it through Obadiah's eyes and see that it is gospel. The judgment of God's enemies is good news for God's people. That's next week, or maybe the week after, depending on how sermon preparation goes next week. Uh, This week I want to focus on that first major theme. That first major theme that the day of the Lord will bring judgment on all nations, whether they acknowledge him or not. And this is stated in what I I think are the central uh, verses of this whole this whole prophecy, verses 15 and 16, where we read, The day of the Lord, for the day of the Lord upon the nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. For as you drink on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually, yes, They shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. The day of the Lord is near. It is coming. And on that day, judgment will come. It's stated very clearly what type of judgment right there. As you have done, it shall be done to you. In the New Testament, in Revelation, we read that we will be judged according to our works. But I think in, in Obadiah, we see that in a very literal fashion, that sometimes God brings judgment in the very areas of our sin. The things we trust in turn out to be our downfall. Or the ways that we sin are the ways others sin against us as a form of God's judgment. And we'll try to look at that a bit more. But here, this judgment will come on all nations as they have done, so it will be done to them. They will receive God's wrath and curse if they have not turned to Christ. You will receive God's wrath and curse if you are not found that day in Christ, if you have never trusted in him as Savior and Lord. Maybe we don't hear Christian churches preach on Obadiah enough because Where is Christ in it? But the reality is Christ is the one speaking. He is the judge. And we can't separate out the Savior from the one who sits on the throne, from the one who will 
dash them to pieces with a rod of iron. So as we consider the day of the Lord bringing judgment on all nations, we are seeing Christ. Christ's warning to us if we do not look to him in repentance for salvation. It will be a fair, just, and equitable judgment. As each has broken God's law, so they will be judged. And this is whether or not the person or the nation acknowledges God. I I think we need to be very clear with that, not only for ourselves, but this is a very relevant thing for the world around us. A world in which that's fine for you, but you have to let me believe my thing or do my thing. Where all roads lead to good things. It needs to be very clearly stated, not only from your pastor in sermons like this, but from you in a gracious and loving manner, that God's judgment will come whether or not he is acknowledged. So that the atheist on the day of judgment will not be able to say, this isn't fair. I didn't believe you existed. Why would I have kept your laws? You can't judge me. I, I didn't believe these things were real. The heavens declare the glory of God, writes David, the firmament, his handiwork. There is no language where their voice is not heard. On the day of judgment, I didn't believe in a God. Will not save anyone from the wrath of the one living and true God. They will be judged even if they claim other jurisdiction. Uh, Other gods, in other words. No one on the last day before the throne of the great judge will be able to say, but I didn't believe in you. I believed in Buddha. I followed his path. I believed in Baal. I followed his way of doing things. No one will be able to claim a different religion, a different set of gods, they who deny God will one day receive the reprisal upon their own heads. Remember this theme from Obadiah 15, as you sin, so you will be judged. Those who, whether as atheists or or false religion proponents, do not Believe in the one living and true God on the last day. Remember what he will say to them. I never knew you. They also will be judged who acknowledge God, but recreate him in their own image or according to their own desires or to fit their social their social. Uh, treasures the things their society loves we've been seeing that in first kings Sunday nights with Jeroboam haven't we just saying you worship Yahweh God 
and then completely rewriting what the religion is, it won't be enough to say, I believed in Jesus, I love Jesus, if you've recreated who Jesus is. It won't do anyone good on the last day, as this last year, for example, the, the billboard in California inviting people from states that had uh, outlawed abortion. The, the billboard inviting people to come to California for abortions with the phrase, God is love, at the bottom. Well, well that kind of thing isn't going to do any good. In fact, it's going to do great harm. God's wrath and curse due to us for sin. It's not going to do any any good to say they believe in Christ if they don't believe that Christ was fully God and fully man. And the evangelical church in America is full of people who believe one or the other. Well, he he was fully God, but, but he just kind of appeared to be similar to a man. Or people who hold that he was just a good man. The best man even. But not God. Or those who redefine what Christ's work and purpose on earth were. Well, we believe Jesus came to do all of these things. But, but he didn't die on the cross as atonement for sin. He didn't bear hell in my place on the cross, that wasn't what Christ came. All of these kind of things, it will not do any good to have the recreated version of the true God. On the final day, all such will find themselves in trouble. If they don't believe in the one Jesus Christ, who only as fully God and fully man could atone for the sins of his people by bearing hell on the cross in their place. Any other version. And on the last day, standing before the judge, who will intercede for you? And what atonement could possibly be made? None. All nations and all peoples will be judged Whether they acknowledge God or not, no one will say, no fair, I didn't believe in you. No one will be able to say, but not my God. My God wouldn't be like this. No one will stand before that judge's bench and say, you're being judgmental. And my God is a God of love. So Obadiah is an exceedingly relevant book for our day. Because in our day, we need this reminder that the day of the Lord upon all nations, not just ones that were a long time ago, Edom, but all nations, America, the day of God's judgment is near. Edom in Obadiah stands as an example, a sample case for us to look at, both in terms of its uh, judgment from God in the past, but also as he's accusing them 
for the future how they will be judged with all others on the last day. Because part of this emphasis in verse 15, that the very sins they have done as you have done, so the reprisal will come upon your own head, means that God isn't just going to blanket judge the world, but he will particularly judge each nation and each individual among those nations. And so Edom stands and we see God's list of crimes and his accusations and his threats to them as a sample for us, a clear message. The clear message, writes one author, concerning Edom is that there is no hiding from God. No hiding from God. We read that in Revelation this morning, didn't we? As all the kings and all the mighty important men and all the commanders of armies. And then John just jumps over all of the middle class and gets to the other bookend. Every slave. Every slave. Meaning all humanity in history. Crying out to the rocks to crush us so that we don't have to face the wrath What wrath? The wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of Jesus Christ. So as we spend the rest of our time this morning looking at Edom, or Esau, the the nation that came from Esau, uh, the brother of Jacob, we see this sample, and I want us to be examining our hearts rather than rushing through the whole book this week. Here's the downside. The happy part or the good part comes not this week. Because it would have required a really long sermon. And I thought I would rather stop on a difficult note for us so that we all would go home examining ourselves and our congregation and the nation we live in and sit with that for a week before coming back. So it's going to be a more difficult ending to the sermon, remembering that we are thinking about the wrath of Jesus Christ himself. So as we look at Edom and ask, what particular sins will Edom be judged for? I think we could sum them all up as presented here under one sin, The sin of pride. Edom is arrogant and full of pride. And in these verses, we see that the very things in which Edom trusted in pride are the very areas that Christ says, I will judge you. The very things God will use, in fact, to judge them. So... The first, and this is the main one, it'll be most of, most of our time focusing on this. Edom had pride in territory. Pride of location or territory. You find this in verses 3 through 6 especially. Uh, the, the territory of Edom, it's 
south of Judah. If you're looking, if you have a Bible map at the back of your Bible there and you're looking at it uh, and you see the Dead Sea and you see Judah, Edom is right there underneath those two things. It's a very rocky and mountainous area. Uh, Many of you, perhaps, I can help you envision it by simply saying Petra is in that territory. And uh, remember Petra, or if you've seen the Indiana Jones movie, they go down into the canyon. There's Petra, although it's not supposed to be Petra in that movie, but that's Petra. So it's the, the canyons with high walls on either side of you. And, uh, and then these fortresses built into the very rock itself. Now, Petra itself wasn't built by the Edomites. There have been a lot of people who dwelt in this region over the many years. And because many of them have been uh, at least partially um, nomadic in nature, including the Edomites, would often move for various purposes throughout the region There didn't tend to be as many cities, but they did have fortresses. And some of them, no doubt, much like Petra or in places secure like that. And and so Edom had this, this arrogance about their location. Bigger armies could come against them, but going through those canyons, rocks could be dropped down on top of them. And before many a a larger army could ever reach the fortresses, they'd been destroyed by ambush from above. There was no airborne back then, so you had to go on foot. And Edom was always above you and attacking you. And that's actually why we read in these verses. Think of verse 3 where they, they ask the question, Who can bring my security down? Who can bring our security down? Or verse 3, where there's the hint of, uh, of part of their arrogance. The Edomites would sometimes say, only an eagle could take our fortress. And God throws that right back in their face in verse 4. Well, though you ascend as high as the eagle. And what human could ever reach that, that airy way up on the cliffs? But verse 4, God says, but I, I will bring you down. Who can bring us down? No one can bring us down. They'd have to be an eagle. And God says, I'm the God of eagles. Actually, ironically, God brought this all about by just sending an army in that took it. For all that pride, God would use just an army who was able to ascend as far as the eagle's nests. Who can bring our security down? God simply responds, me. I'm not a mere man. And you have attacked me. And we'll look more next week at the specific ways in which they'd attacked God through attacking God's people. Uh, But this pride of location receives judgment. Judgment that fits the crime. As God talks here, of robbers and of those doing the gleanings in verse 5. So he uses two illustrations of things being taken but not 
everything being taken. A robber breaks into your house. They might steal your lockbox or your safe. They might grab the jewelry off the dresser. Uh, they may take things, but they probably don't raid your refrigerator for, for ice cubes. They probably leave you something, right? They, they probably don't take every broken toy in your kid's toy box or uh, every book off of your shelf or the pillowcases off of your pillows, right? A, a thief breaks into your house and they leave something, God says. Or the other imagery of the gleanings. You know, you go through the fields, but there's always something that's missed. Not, not just if you're in Israel where God commands you to leave things for the poor. Uh, unless you send three or four people through gleaning stuff, you're going to miss something, God says. But judgment's going to be different than that for Edom. And we'll look a little bit more next week on, on the irony of this for Edom. But I'll just say here, Edom didn't leave anything. They picked things bare. They didn't have the grace to leave you anything when they raided your territory. And so the judgment is similar. God, God says that he will cut them off and there will be nothing left. And that, that actually will prove to be true. Now, it takes a, quite a few centuries for all of this to take place, a, a number of centuries. It's a slow process. First, they lose their territory. Then they lose their separate identity. Then it really gets down to just one important family blended into a different nation. But eventually, even that family will be utterly destroyed. They have their pride of territory, location. God will strip it all away from them. And that, that didn't take too long for God to bring about. And then in verse 7, we see another area of their pride. Pride in alliances. All the men of your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Edom loved their alliances. Well, well, who doesn't, really? I don't know that Edom's too different from any other nation in that way. But they were a really small nation, and so they really took pride in getting the right alliance with the biggest player. In some ways, I think Edom was like, I'm not sure where this phrase comes from, and maybe no one will know it but me, but I feel like when I was a kid, I would hear of the bully's toady. Is that a thing? Maybe? The, the little annoying kid who wasn't big enough to be a bully on his own, but because he was the errand boy for the big bully, everyone was kind of scared of the little one as well. That was Edom. Edom would connect with the biggest player in the political world and follow along. Often Edom wouldn't even be a major player in the events that took place. And we'll look at this a little more next week. But the idea of not 
not being in the battle, but killing anyone who escaped it. That was Edom. They took pride as if they had done it all, when really it was just the people they were in an alliance with. They got into a number of alliances we see throughout Scripture. One of them was with Judah and Israel against Moab. Uh, Another, which we read about this morning, even though it didn't use the word Edom, was that alliance that came against Jehoshaphat. We've read about it in 2 Chronicles. And uh, we read of things, uh, locations, that emphasize that Edom was part of that. And again and again, they allied themselves with larger people and took great pride in it and acted like they were just as important as anyone else in the alliance. And God says... That very thing is going to be your downfall. You know, maybe if they'd hid away in their caves in Edom, some of these players wouldn't have even noticed that they were there. And who wants desert anyway? But instead, they vindictively assaulted the people of God with God's enemies. And the problem with an alliance like that is if you're the small person and the alliance no longer exists, it starts breaking up, who's the first person to suffer? The little guy. Everyone's going to try to take your territory to get just a little bit of an upper hand on the others. And that's exactly what happened to Edom. And then third in verse 8, we see pride in regard to wisdom. And this is more of a and alluding to something than anything else. But Edom and that whole territory, really, uh, there south of the Dead Sea, has always been one of the places that wisdom, worldly wisdom, was prized and praised. So that, whether from the Edomites or other Arab communities in that region... Uh, You have a lot of proverbial sayings in the ancient Near East. You have a lot of, you know, wise man guru hiding in this little cave and people would come to them to receive their wisdom. That was something that the Edomites apparently were very proud of. And yet, God says, will I not in that day even destroy the wise men? Well, you, you think you're small... Maybe your army will fail you. Maybe your location will fail you. But surely you'll be out thinking everyone else, right? You're smarter than everyone else. No, they won't be able to save you. And verse 9 then, throwing the army in there. I know I kind of covered the army a little bit while talking about territory, so I won't say much more about that. Now, they, they didn't have a strong army, but they had a scrappy army. Scrappy army with uh, occasionally some giants in it. Occasionally you'll run across some mighty warrior that was an Edomite in the Old Testament history literature. Um, And yet this too will not save them. See, all these areas of sinful pride are the very areas through which God will discipline them and bring them to utter humiliation because the nation's rage and the people's plot in vain Edom also against the Lord and against his anointed saying let us break their bonds in pieces and cast their cords from us but 
Obadiah is reassuring us God in heaven is laughing. And that, that is what we see regarding Edom in Obadiah. We'll consider the specifics of the, the specifics of what Edom had done against God and his people, Lord willing, next week. But I want to stop here with this heavy message that there is no escape. No escape from the wrath of the Lamb unless the escape is the Lamb. No escape from the King who will judge all nations unless He is your King and your Savior. Let's consider this week then asking ourselves as we look at the pride of Edom, are there any ways that you recognize yourself? Or your country? Or the evangelical church in America? Are we proud about our land? Do we think we are impregnable and undefeated? Well, certainly, if you ask a lot of people in a lot of countries in the world what they think of Americans, that's exactly the impression they have. Arrogant and thinking they're undefeatable. Rome thought that at one point, too. And so did Babylon. And so have a lot of smaller countries like Edom. Do we are we proud about alliances? I don't even mean they're politically. Because most, most of us don't make formal treaties in our daily lives. But are we proud and arrogant in sin about who we know? About the connections we have? Do, do we think we can get away with sinning unpunished? Because of who our friends are or our family. And for believers or people in the visible church, I can especially challenge that very question, whether you're a believer, right? Do you trust in the alliance you have? That is, I'm in a family that's a member of, of church. My parents believe this, and so I'm part of that family, that covenant home. No, that won't be enough apart from faith. Are we proud about our wisdom? Do we think we know more than God? We certainly think we know more than everyone else in the world in all of history, whether that's true or not. But do we think we know more than God? Do we think our advancements in science and technology put us in a place where we are above the law of God or his judgment? And I'm sure you can look over what God says about Edom here and think of other ways. Let's examine our hearts this week, ourselves and the culture in which we live, and let us do so with repentance. Let us go and think and pray. Pray to our King with humility, remembering this week what He has promised. 
Humble yourselves in the eyes of the Lord Jesus, and he will lift you up. All other options will be brought down. Let's pray.